0: Sha! The winter is here. The winter is here. Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of the dark? Were you afraid of the dark when you were a kid? And I always was. Uh, I still am. I still am. I have to say it. Uh, this darkness, when it gets so dark in winter, and it's just starting, right? I mean, it's not the shortest day of the year yet. There's a couple of um, couple more months of this darkness, and I, I can't. I mean, it's driving me crazy. I mean, um, during normal times, you know... Um, it's bad enough. I always, I never like this. I mean, in fact, it, it's I'm not the only one, right? I mean, there are there are millions of people, millions of people um, who suffer from some degree of what they call seasonal affective disorder, which the for which the uh, acronym is that the is sad, S A D. Might as well I maybe also frightened. You know, millions of people suffer from this, and I know a lot of people. I've done this a couple of times, although I can't stand the glare. People have bought special lamps that they put on uh, that have some kind of full spectrum or special light that they put on in the wintertime. I was talking to a woman in my building, um, and my apartment building is right on Broadway, and uh, it's uh, at a corner street, but right on Broadway. And, um, you know, there's a million lights on Broadway all the time, day and night. Um, And during the daytime, of course, this is an area where there aren't so many tall buildings right opposite us. So uh, whatever light there is comes in, you know, during the day. And during the spring and summer, that's fine. You know, sometimes it's probably a little too much. It's too glary and put up blinds, uh, people put up blinds. But uh, when it gets to be the winter, if you live in the back of the building, which is where I live, the back of the building, it's good, like I say, in um, the spring and the summer, because um, it's restful, it's peaceful. You don't hear all the noise. Um, well, you, don't, you don't hear most of the noise, the sirens and the cars and the trucks honking and the sound of the traffic and people talking night and day. You don't hear that. So it's kind of peaceful in the back there. It's a little oasis of, uh, for, you know, of uh, quiet, of solitude. But in the winter is when you pay for it, because, uh, I mean, you still get the solitude, obviously, but what you get is it gets dark, <clears throat> almost, it gets dark around 3.30-ish, 4. And uh, while it might be on the other side of the building that looks out on broader where the sun is, might be till it's 5. Like it's an hour difference practically, which starts to get dark. And it gets dark and then, and then there's that, that terrible darkness outside. Now there, there are the lights, obviously, from other people's apartments, but that, that darkness out there. And I always hated to see the sun go down. I mean, uh, I, I always hated it. It's not just that. And I think a lot of people, uh, I mean, there are people who are night people. People like it when the sun goes down. They don't like the daytime. I mean, I've known people who uh, who were night people. They uh, slept through most of the day, got up late in the afternoon. And even then, I knew a guy who used to wear sunglasses when he got up during the afternoon. You know, it was in the summer or whatever. But there are people who... Um, who wander around at night, who flourish at night, who work at night, people who go out at night. They like the city life, the nightlife. <clears throat> they, they go to clubs, they go to, uh, they go to nightclubs, they, they go to shows, they go to restaurants late at night, they hang out at night, they walk around. <sighs> Not me. I think most people probably um, have a certain, have a, a sort of a primitive natural anxiety and sadness about when the sun goes down, the loss of light. But um, <clears throat> there are various personal reasons, the way I grew up, that nighttime and darkness were uh, were extra bad for me. I mean, they were not enlightened, put it, put it this way, they were not enlightened by a warm family life. It wasn't as if uh, when the sun went down and it was dark out that um, I could count on the warm bosom of my family, so to speak. You know... Uh, <laughs> To brighten things up, because basically had a disappeared father and a um, a, a really psychotic mother raving around downstairs from the room I was in. And as I've mentioned a million times, but still, uh, apropos of this subject today, I mean, basically, I lived in a room. Before my father left, he finished the attic. These were little tiny houses out in Laurelton, Queens, this little town I grew up in, actually part of the city, but like a little town. And um, all along the block there, we, our, house, our houses on this block um, were built right next to a cemetery, right next to a cemetery. And um, <clears throat> right next to a cemetery. And before and, and what people did when they, when they started to have more than one kid, uh, instead of having that extra bedroom downstairs where they put the kid, there were two bedrooms, one for the parents and one right next door Little little rooms, I mean, because it was a small houses. And right next to it would be the one kid they had. But if you had two kids, people, what they did was they used the attic. And they finished off part of the attic and made a bedroom for uh, the second kid. And that's where the uh, kid's bedroom was. <coughs> um, now, everybody on my block, because I visited them later on, I had friends who lived on my block, they parents somehow managed to figure out, without a lot of brain power, I don't think, that um, they didn't want their kids overlooking the cemetery. So they finished the part of the attic that was looking out on the, um, on the front, on the street, where, there, you know, it was a quiet little town. I mean, there were some streetlights out there and occasional car headlights. But uh, my father, what, out of thickness and sensitivity, some kind of sadism, I, don't, I really don't know what. He managed to be the only one on my entire block that finished the bedroom upstairs, the one that and had a view that looked out on the cemetery. So there I am. It's dark out. It's dark inside the house, and my mother always kept all the blinds drawn. And um, um, four and a half years old, or something like that, and I get up. And I'm scared, anyhow, for various reasons. Uh, no father around. My mother, who knows what. She might just appear in the doorway. I don't know. Any time. And what do I have to look at is the cemetery, which um, <clears throat> which was full of shapes and shadows. I mean, people are scared of cemeteries, right? They're scared of the dark. They're scared of cemeteries. So I get this double whammy, right? So around this time of the year, so it was, uh, you know, for personal reasons, it always still affects me. It's in my bones, in my blood. And... um, when this time comes i have uh, we don 't have a fireplace, obviously we don 't live in a penthouse or anything like that. I mean, I have all the lights on all the time. I do have all the lights on all the time and i, I tend to have daydreams vivid daydreams these times uh daydreams right night dreams daydreams of houses i 've been in or slept over in or visited um, my uh, um, my wife 's parents had a house in Connecticut, a nice big house in Connecticut. And during the winter, there was always a fire going. They had a couple of fireplaces, and there was a fire going, and you sat there. So as it got darker outside, the warmth and the uh, the brightness and the aliveness of this fire inside, more alive, you know, than just turning on a lamp. I mean, it was crackling, like a fire seemed like it was alive. And I think about that all the time. And I think about places that I've uh, been there that were very well lit that had lamps on. I mean, this is an old thing. I mean, it's as old as it gets, Right. Uh, the cave dwellers, people who lived in caves, uh, the first human beings, or whatever you know, those people that resembled, uh, or you know, uh, were the pre precursors of human beings. They had um, they kept the fire going all the time. I mean, they needed the fire for for cooking. They needed the fire for warmth, but they also needed the fire because it was dark outside. I mean, completely dark. I mean, the dark is scary. I mean nighttime, ghosts, right, monsters, Dracula, everything comes out in the dark. Uh, and uh, although I think I heard Gary Null say once that, or uh, I heard other people say this, that the best best way to sleep is to sleep in a dark room, not to have anything bright on in the room, like a a nightlight or, um, or a lamp or maybe a very bright clock. And I used to do that, but uh, at times, like now, for various reasons, when I'm, more anxious than i 've been for a long time, <clears throat> I, um, I tend to have lights on. I tend to have like a, a bathroom light on which shines into the bedroom when I'm uh, i 'm sleeping i don 't have a night light on, but uh, when I was a kid, do we have night lights? Did you have a night light when you were in your bedroom when you were a kid? A lamp or night light? <clears throat> I remember um, when my kids um, when my kids were little. We had lamps on in the room we had uh, either a nightlight or we had this lamps these lamps on that we kept on um, when they were going to going to bed when they were going to sleep because kids are more scared of the dark than anybody right uh, more scared of the dark and they're scared of the dark for various reasons they're scared of the dark because it's nighttime and they're going to go to sleep and they're going to be separated from you which they don't want to do and kids have this you know talk about primitive kids are primitives they uh, when they, when the night comes and the darkness comes and they close their eyes, um, they're scared. A lot of kids cry. They don't want to go to sleep. They stay up. They stay up. They stay up. Read that story five more times. They stay up. They can't stand it. They don't like to be, they don't like to, they don't like to have their eyes closed and go to sleep. But they do eventually. And, uh, but we had lamps on, which helped. <clears throat> These lamps on, I mean, my daughter had a lamp that was a very large goose, a white Goose, plastic, uh, very thick plastic um, goose, Uh, kind of lifelike looking. I mean, I tried to go online and get her one as a present. Now she's grown. Of course, the the lamp was called Goosey. You put Goosey on? Yes, Goosey is on now. Don't worry. Goosey is on. And then I remember my daughter, uh, she used to say, uh, she heard a noise in the closet. As soon as I put the light out, even though the Goosey was on, or if uh, if the lamp wasn't on sometimes and I'd forgotten to put it on or I don't know what happened. But it was a little dark in the room. And, of course, we left the doors to their rooms uh, wide open uh, or more, let's say, cracked about halfway so that they would hear us, you know, the grown-ups watching over them. And um, they would see the light. The light would come in from the living room. The light, right? You don't want to just be sunk in darkness. And she would say, you know, there's something in the closet. There's something in the closet. I heard a noise. There's a monster in the closet. Uh, it's probably some kid's book called Monster in the Closet. And I would, you know, I'd turn on a light <clears throat> or maybe get a flashlight, too, and I would open the closet door, and I'd say, come here, you can take a look. Nothing in there, see? Shining everywhere, move the clothes around. Okay, that's good. But kids are scared. Kids are scared of the dark. I mean, uh, and there's all kinds of primitive and emotional and psychological reasons for it. Um, the dark, yeah, the dark is scary. It's scary for everybody. And... um, I remember I went up a couple of times when I was up in the woods when I was on camping trips and um the boy I went up with the Boy Scouts and a couple of other times I went up with my father on hiking, camping trips. And um also I went up there with uh, um with some women I was living with a couple of times and uh went up to some cabins in the woods. I mean I don't have a cabin in the woods with the money for that, right? But I had friends or new people who knew people who had cabin in the woods. And one or two times I went up and they loaned me their cabin for a week or a weekend upstate New York. And I go up there and I was not used to that. I mean, I grew up in, I didn't grow up in the middle of Manhattan where there's lights almost everywhere all the time. That must be a different experience. I mean, my kids grew up in Manhattan. They don't live here now, but they grew up in Manhattan. And they lived, we lived in a, you know, a big apartment building and, um, you know, if they look out their windows, even if it's dark in the room, there's street lights everywhere. There's headlights from cars and trucks and buses. And, um, you know, you can hear the noise. So it's not utterly silent, but it's not too noisy because we lived higher up in the building. But, um, the you know, the, there were lights everywhere. But uh, the place I grew up in was more of the suburbs and it was dark out there. It wasn't that much, uh, you know, there aren't, there aren't that many lights around. And, you know, if uh, if you look out the back window of a house in the suburbs, usually you see other street lights or car headlights or something like that. But you don't generally see a large dark cemetery with shadows around and black crows sitting in a black tree without any leaves because it's winter. <laughs> when you're four and a half, it's not It's not uh, the prescribed um, – uh, I was seeing a doctor once who told me that uh, since I've always had trouble sleeping. I mean always and worse now than ever. Um, she said, you know, you have to observe good sleep hygiene. That is not good sleep hygiene, the way I grew up. I remember I was up in uh, a couple of cabins, and it was scary, scary to be up in the cabins. You hear noises, sounds that you usually don't hear, right? Um, And one time I was in a cabin, which was really in the middle of the woods. I mean, dark in the middle of the woods. No lights, no light even from another cabin anywhere. And um, we had a, a, a... you know, we had the lights on, but then we turned the lights off, and um, there was no night light or anything like that. And, uh, and no, in fact, there weren't, um, I remember this, there weren't lights. There weren't electric lights. There were, we had to use Coleman lanterns. And we had the lantern on at night. And, uh, you know, we used to go, on, go on to sleep, put out the lights, put out the lantern. And this is the first time, you know, that old phrase, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I held my hand in front of my face, could not see it maybe two, three inches away. It's scary, and it is disconcerting in the most basic way, in the most basic way. Uh, I mean, you know, and it's dark, and then you hear these noises outside. Scary bedtime stories, right? You hear these noises outside, and uh, you don't know what it is. (laughs) And there you are in the dark. No wonder people who live out um, in the woods, um, I mean, there's other reasons for this, I suppose, but people live out in the woods Uh, where there is not, quote, unquote, um, you know, uh, regular, um, you know, uh, regular traffic around. The the police aren't around. People have guns and dogs. People have guns and dogs out there. You know, they need them. They need them out there. I mean, um, yeah, it's dark. Who knows what's out there in the dark? Things walk around in the dark, right? Things come out in the dark. Halloween. I mean, light, I mean, there's a million metaphors with light and dark, a million. Um, the darkness is lifting, right? The dark night of the soul. Darkest Africa, right? Darkest Africa. Um, the forces of darkness. The light of my life. You're the light of my life, right? It's always that way. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. And it's the darkest Africa stuff. I mean, <clears throat> this is all racist shit that the Europeans had, you know? Is there, is there something about this in the, in the Old Testament? Was it one of the sons of, I don't know who it is now, one of the sons of Lot or of Noah that was cursed in some way? I don't know what, offended the Lord in some one of the million ways you could easily offend the Lord. And uh, this son had dark skin or was made to have dark skin. And so that was like being a from God. Never mind that all the uh, human beings in the whole world started out in Africa, but uh, and everything, white. Black, dark, light—I mean, everything. Um, <clears throat> old cowboy movies. You ever see watch uh, cowboy movies uh, even before um, talkies? Uh, old cowboy movies from the twenties and and the thirties when it was sort of um, childlike. <clears throat> um, the good guys had white ho- white horses usually. Uh, the Long Range had a white horse, didn't the Long Range have a white horse? I think so. And the I mean, the good guys had white hats. And the bad guys had uh, black cats, maybe even black horses. <laughs> this is the way it was, right? This is the way it was. Um, bad guys in the movies in the 30s sometimes were called blackie. I think Clark Gable was in some movie once where he played a character who was bad. But he had a heart of gold, but it was bad, and it was called blackie, I think. And people, equ- you know, they, uh, they equate um, darkness with ignorance or ignorance with darkness, Knowledge and understanding is being enlightened, right? The light comes on. You know those old cartoons where a light bulb comes on over somebody's head because they've been in the dark first. I mean, um, in prison, I don't know, do they still do this? In prison, they throw people into, they put people in solitary still in prison. I know they do that, but um, I know they used to, and I don't know if they still do this. They used to put people, if they really wanted to punish people, uh, talk about cruel and unusual punishment. They used to throw people in the pitch dark, in solitary, by themselves, which is bad enough, right? Because um, human beings are essentially social animals. They throw them in solitary, and then they used to just turn all the lights. There was nothing. No light whatsoever. And people would go crazy in there, you know? People would go crazy in there, put, put, put people in holes in the dark, in the hole, right? I had a fourth-grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Elliot. And she was a cold, nasty woman. I remember her, and one of the reasons I remember her more than anything else is that she had a punishment for kids who talked in class or were unruly. And it was uh, there was a million ways to be unruly. This wasn't uh, the nineteen eighties, nineties, and later. Uh, you know, everything you did was unruliness, <laughs> especially boys. She, you know, teachers. A lot of these um, teachers in their fifties or sixties, uh, who had been teaching a long time. Some of them weren't married. They did not like little boys, and um, <clears throat> one way she had of controlling people or punishing people, getting them to like, toe the line, and she did this to me once, which was terrifying. Uh, she would put you in a clothes closet, a very dark clothes closet, coat closet, actually, where people hung up their, clothes, uh, their, their, um, their coats, and she would close the door on you, so you'd be in there, and you didn't know when you were getting out, uh, and you would just have to stand there and not make a, a sound. Jeez, talk about it. I mean, if somebody did that right now, they'd be fired in about one afternoon, right? Um, and light, light, light. From the very, like from the first paragraphs of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and, and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. <coughs> and that's that paragraph. That's that quote. But the implication there is that darkness is bad. He saw the light, and the light was good. So that clearly means that darkness is bad. And everything bad happened in the dark. Um, the people... I mean, you know, uh, criminals come out in the dark. I mean, there criminals come on all the time now. I mean, there is no... <laughs> Is there any light and dark anymore? I don't know. There is actual light and dark, obviously. Nature is light and dark. But when it comes to bad and good or people doing uh, nasty deeds, well, I suppose it's still that way. You know, um, uh, There are still guards at night that are posted in places. Um, and uh, crime happens, a lot of crime, a lot of violent crime. Bad things happen at night. Bad things happen at night. Um, the people who live right across from me in the apartment right across from me in my building, their lights are on all night. Somebody there is scared of the dark. It's a woman and her um, teenage young have some water, you don't mind, right? Um <clears throat> here's some sound effects for you. I'm going to screw the top of my water bottle. Another thing about, <clears throat> sorry, another thing about winter is that the heat is on. Um, All the time. The heat is on day and night in my apartment. We have humidifier on sometimes, but uh, not all the time. And it's um, a good way to dry your throat into parchment. Um, So God saw the light and it was good. And uh, presumably uh, the darkness was bad. The people across from me have the lights on all the time. Somebody, this woman, uh, she has a teenage daughter. um, And she has a little dog, a really cute little dog, a rescue dog that she adopted. And I don't know who's scared of the dark. Maybe the kid, maybe the dog, maybe her. I don't know. And who knows why people are scared of the dark? I mean, I've told you some of my reasons, and uh, they don't go away so easy. It's sort of something that stays with you all your life. I mean, does that happen? Do you, does that familiar to you? You know, when you grow up a certain way, I know, like, people grow up, they're not afraid of the dark for various reasons. And they don't carry that. They carry that not being afraid into adulthood. But people who are afraid of the dark... Always have a bit more of that later on. It doesn't really go away. So these people have their lights on all night long, which is fine with me. I mean, I pull my shades down so not, the light is not shining right in my room, uh, right in my uh, bedroom there. And whenever I'm in my apartment, um, and even when I'm not there, I have to confess, and this is wasteful and awful, right? But I have the lights on everywhere. I have all the lights on. I mean, the building, the building. oddly enough, my building is rare. They pay, the landlord pays for the um, for the uh, electricity, pays the electric bill. And so when the air conditioner is on, which I don't overuse, and um, when the lights are on, um, it is not included in my rent. You know, I have the lights on all the time. Everywhere I always lived, I always had the lights on. Um, <clears throat> and like I mentioned before, uh, there are people, and maybe you're one of them, who like the night. In fact, they almost love the night, and they don't really like the daytime so much. They prefer the night. And I've known, I had a friend um, once who was a painter and a writer, and I've known other painters and writers like this too, um, that they work at night. They like to work at night because it's peaceful and it's calm and everybody else is asleep and they don't have to uh, bother or they aren't bothered by uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the requirements, the dependencies of human relationships, the lights out, the, 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 noises outside are less, the traffic, there's just less going on and they can concentrate and they feel when they're in a the dark, that they're in touch with other things. You know, they're in touch with other things. Um, me again, the opposite. I never even like to get out of bed at night and there were good reasons for it in my house, believing that being in bed, was like being in a boat in the middle of a very bad ocean. You stayed in the boat. You stayed in the boat, but people grew up in different ways. I had a night job. <clears throat> I did. I had a night job once. Um, it was uh, when I was right out of college, and um, 1966, the summer of 1966. And I worked. Um, I didn't want to go right away and start getting a job. You know, I didn't want to get a job instantly. I knew I'd have to get an actual job with my college degree sooner or later. But I put that off, uh, and um, I got a job, of all things, as a Pinkernan guard. This is before I knew much about the history of it. I don't even know what made a difference. I needed a job, and I needed money. I had um, moved out, temporarily at least, I had moved out of my um, mother's house where I grew up and uh they the family had an uh, the family had in the family they had this thing called a bungalow out in Rockaway in queens um, It's a small sort of lower middle class or middle class community which is right on the ocean right on the Atlantic Ocean out in queens and some people this is back in the twenties and thirties when some of the people who had emigrated to the United States had started to make a little money uh, they bought these really cheap uh wooden shacks and they called them bungalows. So, um, I uh, moved out of my mother's house, big adventure for me, and I lived in this bungalow by myself. Well, you know i had to i had to I had to um I had to pay the electric bill and I had to buy food and I had to buy gas for my car. So I had a job. I worked as a Pinkerton guard, and one of the jobs they gave me was uh, on the night shift as a guard in a defense plant. This is at the beginning of the Vietnam War, right? I mean, I had the midnight to 8 a.m. shift. It's the only night job I ever had. Not my natural territory nighttime. And um, I was always like, you know, like an early morning guy. I like to get out of bed uh, when the sun came up or 6 a.m. or something like that in bed by and asleep usually by 11 a.m. That's the kind of body rhythm I had and maybe the, my environment. I grew up that way. But this job, um, like I said, was the beginning of our involvement in Vietnam, and it was at a a defense plant called the Sperry Gyroscope Company. There's this uh, defense industry. I don't know if they still exist. They probably got swallowed by four different versions of a merger. But Sperry was a very big, Sperry Rand was a very big um, defense company, you know, war company, whatever you want to call it. And this particular plant on Long Island wasn't a big plant, but it wasn't a small one either. They made made gyroscopes for bombers, I think for B-52 bombers. And um, so it's as bad as it could get. And was I at that point anti-war? Of course, I had demonstrated. I was—I had been the president of the Young Democrats on campus and held anti-war demonstrations, uh, little tiny ones, out on Long Island at this conservative college I was at. But um, nevertheless, I wanted to get a job, and uh, <clears throat> and this is part of my fantasy life mixing with reality, which has never been separated correctly. I wanted always to be a cop. This is as close I was going to get, right? I didn't join the police force. I could have, but I didn't. Uh, later on, I, I became a probation officer. But So I had they gave me a uniform, and they gave me a stick, no gun, right? And I had a little badge, and I was pretending I was a cop. But I was in this plant, and it was the night shift. And I was there with a guy, uh, the sergeant. His name was Walsh. An um, oh, old-time New York, uh, Long Island, actually, Irish guy uh, with that accent. And I think, um, I think it was Walsh, yeah. And he was, uh, Walsh was a retired chief petty officer, a World War II guy, who had been through, God knows what, in the Pacific. He alluded to it sometimes, but he had been through the worst of it out in the Pacific. I think it was on a destroyer. Uh, and this poor guy, I mean, he was pretty much, uh, he was, he had sort of snowy white hair. He had false teeth, I remember. He was in his mid, maybe mid to late 50s, and um he was pretty much drunk all the time. But he functioned. In other words, he wasn't falling down drunk, or they wouldn't have hired him and they and they wouldn't have kept him on. But he was uh he was always drinking all the time. He had a bottle in his um in the inside pocket of his uh, uniform, you know, his uniform jacket, and he would drink all the time in a bottle everywhere. He had bottles stashed around. I mean, one time I was in the guard booth by myself, he was off driving around checking the perimeter, you know, the barbed wire fence. Just to see if anybody was going to break in, like commie spies, and um, you know, steal the gyroscope plans. But uh, <clears throat> he, you know, he'd probably go out and drink because it took him a long time. <laughs> Part of his job was every every hour he would get in this uh, little white pinkerton car and he would drive around the perimeter of his plant, which wasn't that big, and yet somehow it took him sometimes like fifteen minutes to do this every hour. And he would call in on the radio, very military, and he'd say, uh, you know mobile unit to base or something like that. And I'd say, yeah, hey, how you doing, Walsh? And he'd say, he was constantly arguing with me that I had to be more military. <laughs> this poor guy. And he had, you know, like a burst veins in his face and um, big stomach. Um, and, um, and we were together uh, for most of the hour, of each hour, in this small, very well-lit guard booth in the middle of the main parking lot. It was... Um, and then he'd go out and drive around, but it was lit by fluorescent uh, lights, um, and there was this very big parking lot, which was for everybody who worked at the factory and the offices, which were part of the build this big dark building, maybe about a you know, hundred paces away, you know, maybe two hundred paces away. So there we are in the middle of the of no, no there's no cars there. It's just us, and uh, for some reason I remember that we were the only two guards there. I guess people didn't worry too much about this out in Long Island in the middle of the Vietnam War. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, there was a big barbed wire fence around the whole place. And um, about once every two hours, I would, uh, I would go out and make the rounds of the factory and the offices. I had my flashlight, and I had a little clock that I had to turn a key. There were keys in different parts, like 25 different keys, in different parts of the factory and in the offices. And I had to go around and, ch- and turn the key in the clock, and it recorded that I had made my rounds. This is how they knew I made my rounds. I remember one night, I uh, I was walking around there, and I was in the offices, uh, the executive offices, and uh, there was a drawer wide open, which there wasn't supposed to be, and um, on the drawer was marked classified. <laughs> classified, right? And uh, I gave a shit, right? I just kicked it closed and kept on going on my rounds. I didn't report it or anything like that. was I going to turn some guy in because he was careless or something. Or maybe somebody stole the plans for the gyroscope. Well, that's okay. Even up the odds for the, uh, for the poor Vietnamese. I don't know. So me and the Sergeant Walsh, we would sit there in the middle of the night, and uh, he would ramble on and on and on about the fucking hippies. He'd say, the fucking hippies, the faggots, the commies, you know, uh, who are ruining the country. Traitors, they should all be thrown in jail. And uh, sometimes it was uh, commie faggots, faggot commies, all the same to him. And uh, I'm listening to him. And sometimes I would argue with him about the war, you know, about this, about that. But um, he said, oh, you're probably a commie faggot yourself, Vader. Yeah, well, you know, maybe he was right. <laughs> I Maybe, hey, I'm a commie faggot. And um, finally I hear one night after about two weeks of this <clears throat> that his son, he talked about his son, with this mixture of sort of uh, disgust and sadness, that it turns out his son was actually a quote unquote faggot, and lived in San Francisco, and um, uh, was uh, he said, you know, he's dead to me. He's dead to me. That kind of thing. It was um, it was sad. It was sad. After that, I didn't argue with him much about anything. I just felt bad for him. <clears throat> Um, and then the sun came up about dawn, right, whenever it was early, four or five, and it was a summertime job. And at 8 a.m., I drove back out to Rockaway, to this bungalow we had at the beach, near the ocean, which was very peaceful and nice to, to stay there during the day when there weren't big crowds. And um, a couple of times, though, I almost fell asleep driving back. Clearly, I could have been killed. I could have driven right off the road. It was very dangerous. But uh, one advantage to the night shift was that I wasn't alone in that bungalow at night, which I always hated. I always hated being alone anywhere at night, anywhere it was dark. Um, I never get used to. That. I never got used to that night shift, but I do remember when I think back on it. I mean, I asked to be transferred after a while, but when I think back and I remember. I remember uh, it had that cozy sort of hopperish feeling. I was there with this older man, you know, uh, everybody being my adopted father. And we were right there in the light, right there in the light, you know, like Nighthawks at the diner. Um, and we're in the light in the middle of this dark parking lot. It was cozy. It was, it's a nice memory. And um, yeah, that's how it was. Um, actually, there were some lights. When I looked out from my window in, uh, you know, uh, in the dark, I saw some lights all the way across the other side of the cemetery. And I felt there were kindred spirits. Somebody else, for some reason, had finished the attic room. Uh, with lights on in, facing the cemetery. So I wasn't alone in this, fellow travelers. right? Um, so um, <clears throat> I think the one time, there were two times I remember not being afraid of the dark very much. And it's the only two times I remember particularly. I mean, it's, yeah, it goes on and off. You know, It wasn't like I've always felt that way. But um, when I was watching over my kids, when, when my kids were little and I read them stories, the lamps are on in their room and Finally, they fall asleep. I have their lamp on in each room or a night light. and I stay up and up, and my wife uh, is asleep in the next room, and um, I was awake guarding them all. So I always equate, there's an association in me always with light, uh, with light and um, feeling safe and protected all at the same time. And I remember the other time I felt really safe, I think, was, and this set a, a really bad precedent for me, was the first time I was in a mental hospital. Yes, the first time. There were lights in the hallway outside and actual grown-ups walking around at night checking to see you were all right. see all, the, all this theme here, right? And uh, I remember when I was, uh, the first time I got out of this hospital, I was about 25 years old. And I went out and lived with my father then. And uh, <clears throat> I slept. I slept well, I think, probably for the first time in my life. Because he had a big lamp on in the next room and he was upstairs um, guarding me. And that's how it was. Well, winter is here. And along with the ever-increasing darkness, uh, it's clearly up to us to provide the light.
1: I have been one acquainted with the night. I have walked out in rain and back in rain. I have outwalked the furthest city light. I have looked down the saddest city lane. I have passed by the watchman on his beat and dropped my eyes unwilling to explain. I have stood still and stopped the sound of fate when far away an interrupted cry came over houses from another street but not to call me back or say goodbye and further still at an unearthly height one luminary clock against the sky proclaimed the time was neither wrong nor right. I have been one acquainted with the night
2: this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this a little let
0: Right. Let it shine. Let it shine. Um, speaking of being the light of my life, um, here's an article that was in People Magazine. Actually, it was reprinted a bunch of other places. Title is, Man's uh, Emotional Support Squirrel May Be Cause for Eviction from Florida Condo Community. This is from People Magazine, uh, November 14th. Who says a rescued wild animal doesn't qualify as an emotional support pet? A condo association in Clearwater, Florida, for one. WFLA uh, station and news station Channel 8 in Florida, reports that Ryan Boylan is fighting to keep his exotic rescue pet, a rescue pet, a female squirrel named Brutus, after the Island Walk Condominiums Board filed a complaint uh, to Boylan and the owner of the condo. Um, he's trying to keep, hold on to this rescue pet. A notice sent last month informed him he must give up the squirrel an exotic animal forbidden by the board or face eviction. Only cats and dogs are considered pets at Island Walk. The property management first learned of the typically outdoor rodents' status as Boylan's pet when a local dog chased it up a tree in April. Boylan then notified the board over the summer that he considers Brutus an emotional support animal. Right? People have emotional support uh, dogs, and um, there's a lot of them. I know people, I, there's a woman in my building who has one. Um, mm-hmm. People get on the subways and buses with uh, little dogs, and I know a woman uh, who uh, <clears throat> brings her dog everywhere, and they're licensed by the state, I think is a state or is it federal government, as emotional support animals, so they can bring them anywhere. Um, anyhow, um, uh, Mr. Borland says she's just like an inside cat. She just walks around. She just walks around and hides pecans and hazelnuts, which are her two favorites. Boylan Forty told ABC Action News. Boylan rescued the squirrel during Hurricane Matthew in 2016, when she was stuck under a car. Right, that's great. And since then, he has grown attached to her. He was in a car accident in 2004 which he claims left him with anxiety, herniated discs in his back, and PTSD. Yeah, hence the need for a support pet. His doctor even wrote him a prescription for Brutus. Ever since then, I mean, oh my God, I can't imagine not being around her, Boylan told News Channel 8. The squirrel-loving man got in touch with the Office of Human Rights and claimed discrimination. The organization then sent a letter to on his behalf to the condo board citing the Federal, so it's Fair Housing Act. This federal act supposedly protects a homeowner or a tenant's right to keep an emotional support pet. Uh, due to this emotional disability, Ryan Boylan has certain limitations coping with what would otherwise be considered normal but significant day-to-day situations. He has all my sympathy. According to the letter, to help alleviate these challenges and to enhance his day-to-day functionality, I have prescribed Ryan... To obtain emotional support animals. The presence of uh, the animals is necessary for the emotional and mental health of Ryan Boylan because its presence will mitigate the symptoms he is currently experiencing. <clears throat> I do get a letter like that from my teddy bear. I bring it everywhere. Despite these claims, the board's stance remains firm. If Boylan doesn't give up Brutus by the end of the month, he may be evicted. When questioned, By the uh, WFLA, former condo board member Sherry Arfa said she was on the fence. (laughs) Uh, This is Sherry Arfa. I'm sure it's like any emotional support dog. People ask questions, said Arfa. "Uh, It's just like with any animal. You can have the nicest dog and they could bite somebody. It's no guarantee. If it was a gerbil or something like that your grandkid had hiding under the bed, uh, I'm sure that would be fine. But a squirrel is a wild animal. So I don't know what happened. I didn't follow this up. I don't know if he's been evicted or if he's still appealing it. But I'm on his side, you know. It hasn't done anything to anybody. And you know, a cat could scratch you. A dog could bite you. So it's a wild animal. I mean, uh, aren't we all wild animals? Aren't we all? I mean, why single out this one poor squirrel? Well, we all know from vast experience that true love is very hard to find. And when you get it, you've got to hold on to it. All right. This has uh, been Mike Fader and may still be Mike Fader. Who knows? Tune in next week. I'm here every Friday live on PRN from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, please go to my website, Fader Files, dot com. Thanks for listening.
1: You, everything sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a diamond ring. Well, it's all
3: right,
1: even if the sea around.